Our hearts go out to the, to the Mass family. Our hearts go out to the Schrock family. Our hearts go out to the Martin family. Um, you know, um, did you know our lives are writing a legacy? Um, a legacy is something that's <clears throat> transmitted um, or received uh, from someone before us. Um, <clears throat> or from some, something in the past. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we often use the term uh, legacy as, as, you know, he left a legacy or he left a remembrance, something we remember, remember somebody by. We often use it in that way. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> for those of you that are younger uh, this morning, you realize from the passing of, uh, sudden passing of, of Japheth, Japheth Shrock that this message is not just talking about old people dying. You understand what I'm saying? So Keith Mass has left a legacy. Young Japheth Schrock has left a legacy. There's things that we remember those two men by. Now, I, I didn't know either one of them personally, you, you realize. Um, um, I mean, I, I, I knew both of them, but not personally. Um, <clears throat> but uh, from all we know, and we take for granted that, that they left a, a good legacy and, and a, an example uh, as we remember them, an example in their legacy. Uh, no, Brother Merle, I think I'm right from reading in the book, uh, your brother was first ordained as a deacon and then later a minister, right? Um, <clears throat> So any, any personal connection I had with uh, Brother uh, Keith was at his butcher shop. So we had a, a, a beef butcher there one time. And all aspects of it were positive to me. I have only positive things to say about that experience. And first talking to him on the phone about arranging for a time, of taking the animal down there, of, of going back later to uh, uh, pick up the meat and uh, everything, uh, all my experience in working with Brother Keith in that was, was very positive. Um, I take for granted that, uh, we would take for granted that because his congregation called him uh, to be a deacon one time, they appreciated him in his life. Later on, they called him again to be a minister. They appreciated him in his life. Um, oh yeah, and um, so probably some of you that <clears throat> attended the viewing or, or, or the funeral, uh, you may have read uh, <clears throat> a poem written by um, his daughter. And am, am I right that there were two poems there written by the same daughter? Or you're not sure of that? Yeah, yeah. My wife, I know there was two there. I, I read one and didn't read the other one. My wife thought maybe they were written by the same uh, daughter, but that really doesn't matter. I did read, read the one. And uh, it was a daughter writing about her dad. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, his positive influence on her life, his positive influence, example to the church, his positive 
influence and example about working with his hands and so forth and so on. But you see, you and I are writing a legacy today. When we pass on, whether we pass at an older age or a younger age or in between, there will be things that people remember us by. What do you want to be remembered by? So I've titled the message this morning, We Are Writing a Legacy. And uh, we'll look at some scriptures, and I'll read from a a book that was published, first of all, some years ago. Uh, This is what the first one looked like, uh, but it's been republished two times since then, so (laughs) the second time looked different, and now the third time looks different yet. Brother Robert Stauffer uh, wrote... These little short stories, little short stories that, some of them very short, some of them just maybe uh, just a couple of pages long, some of them maybe three or four pages long. And some of you maybe have the book. If you don't, I would encourage all of you to get it. I'll I'll take take just a moment to explain a little bit about the different publications, about the different uh, publishings of it. But uh, Brother Robert grew up in... uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He went into service in northern Ontario. I was up there as a single man, then, then married and stayed up there. Uh, he worked right alongside in northern Ontario with Leon Yoder from up here, up here Gladys. So he's about Leon's age, you know, a uh, number of years older than I am. And uh, so he and Leon were good friends. If you want to know about uh, Robert Stafford, just talk to Leon. He'll give you a good report, I believe. Uh, but then uh, the Lord called him to uh, pastor a church in, in uh, Minnesota. And uh, he's around, uh, I mean, he's, he's still in, in Minnesota, I guess, has lived the rest of his life uh, in, in Minnesota. So... Uh, all these little short stories, uh, they're like parables and they're like uh, stories to, to make us think and to give us examples of how to live and how to relate to our families and how to relate to the world around us and how to make decisions and that kind of thing. Uh, they're stories that uh, young and old alike can appreciate. And so it was published, I believe it was self-published the first time. Uh, Christian light publications appreciated so much that maybe when these copies ran out, they got with him and said, uh, hey, look, uh, we appreciate your book. We'd like to publish it. Uh, we'd like to sell it and publish it. And so they worked together, and Christian Light published it the, 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 uh, the second time under the title uh, Worth Remembering. This one is simply called A Father's Legacy. The second one that Christian Light published, same book, different cover, uh, Worth Remembering. Well, now... Uh, They've added more stories to it by Robert himself, and you can see it in Christian Knight's catalog uh, under the title, Where Two Seas Meet. Again, the title, Where Two Seas Meet by Robert Stauffer. Uh, very good reading. I encourage you, if you don't have it, to get it. <clears throat> Let me begin by mentioning the legacy the Bible gives about a few uh, Old Testament characters. 
The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. Would, would you like for that to be said about you after you die? It said about Abraham, he obeyed God and went. Furthermore, you realize it talks about the fact that he didn't, when God said move, when God said go, he didn't know where he was going, but he went anyway. He obeyed God. What a legacy for Abraham. About Moses, what was his legacy? The Bible says he was meek above all men. It says he was faithful. What legacy did Noah leave? The Bible says the legacy Noah left was that he was just, he was perfect, he was righteous, he walked with God, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What a legacy. Did I say you're writing a legacy and I'm writing a legacy today as we live? We have already written one. If God gives us breath, we'll keep writing more to our legacy. And we will be remembered one day in a special way when we die. That's just how we do. The legacy of Job. The Bible says he was perfect. He was upright. He turned from evil. As far as looking at scripture, I'll break it down into three parts. Uh, we are writing a legacy. Number one, at home. Number two, in the church. And number three, in the community. But before I go there, I would like to read a little from this book. I'll read, first of all, from the foreword, <clears throat> written by the, the writer, Robert Stauffer, written by his oldest son. And it happens that his oldest son is named Japheth. <clears throat> this is what he said. Our father's legacy is not in the fine cabinets he makes. Nor does it lie in his proudness as a hunter or his ability to be a precision machinist. Our father's greatest legacy is his unwavering commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. His loyalty to Christ has been a testimony to the verse that says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them. We have been blessed as children to sit under his teaching, to watch him take the normal ebb and flow of daily life and turn those events into character lessons for us children. Oh, what a powerful example he has set for us as he has demonstrated by example the principles of God's word. So many times we get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of our lives that we forget to take a look at these experiences from a spiritual perspective and thus miss out on the lessons God has for us. 
God told the children of Israel to set up stones by the bank of the Jordan River so their children would not forget what miracles he had done. In the same way, we would like to use this book to encourage each reader to look back and ponder the guiding hand of God in his life. Thank you, Daddy. May the Lord be praised. Japheth Stauffer. So I would like to read the first, uh, the first part that Brother Robert writes, uh, and uh, he entitled it, Worth Remembering, Worth Remembering. He has a verse before, uh, I, I, I guess, I believe he has a verse before every, every little story in here. And uh, this verse is John 6, 27. It says this, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. This is what Brother Robert said. My parents were not wealthy. Well, not financially. They rented the small farm on which they raised us five boys. We raised seven acres of celery, milked about 18 Guernsey cows, and tended a few laying hens. Our tractors were not all the same color, but they got the work done. Every Tuesday, one of us boys was privileged to help mother tend our stand at the local farmer's market. There we would sell our celery, eggs, and extra garden produce. Yes, we had a big garden. In fact, sometimes it was hard to tell where the garden ended and the cash crop began. Five growing boys eat a lot of food, especially in the adolescent and teenage years. Over the less demanding winter months, Dad re reworked machinery for a local corn processing company. No, we were not wealthy, but we were healthy and plenty to eat and felt quite at home in our old farmhouse. Years came and years went. We boys grew older. One became a mechanic, another a carpenter, and the rest of us learned to make a living in machine shop work. One by one, we got married. Grandpa was getting older. He was the one from whom the farm was rented. He felt that with his age and health, it was time to do something about the farm. Dad could not afford it, and most of his boys were now grown, had other jobs, and several were married. Grandpa decided to sell the farm, and my parents decided to build a house. An auction was planned to sell all the things my parents would not need. Auctions are always special times. 
As boys, we would watch, hopefully, as dad or mom bid on an item. Generally, it was something we needed rather than wanted. They gave us boys some change to purchase our lunch from the concession stand. But this auction was different. This time, we were the ones who hauled all the stuff out of the house and shed. We were the ones who lined up the well-used pieces of farm machinery in a neat row. We were the ones this time who were placing the things on the wagon to sell rather than looking on the wagon for things to buy. It was some of the stuff from our memories that was to be auctioned off. Most of my memories of that auction day are vague. I forgot what the old Alice Chalmers brought or who got the old 420 putt-putt John Deere. The irrigation pipe which we had carried back and forth across the celery patch now belonged to someone else. Although they didn't know it yet, Dad's bees would be making honey for another owner. Someone else, I don't know who, had the high bed on the old celery planter that had carried us down those long rows, clicking its watery click. But I do have one quite vivid memory of that auction day. It was late in the day. The auctioneer and the clerk had finished their business and gone home. The crowd had dispersed, and the concession stand had cl was closed. I remember a neighbor talking to Dad. Dad and he had been close friends over the years. They and their boys had worked together, sharing their machinery in putting up hay. I don't remember what this neighbor asked or said. It had something to do with how my parents made out on the sale. What I do remember is Dad's answer. I have been farming all these years, he said. <laughs> and now that all the bills are paid and all the stuff is sold, I have this amount of dollars left. It is not much to show for all these years, but I have five boys. Yes, my parents were not wealthy. We never had a new car or tractor. Hand-me-downs were common, and we boys didn't complain too often. Eating out was rare, as were expenditures for entertainment. Dad, however, did take time to shoot some basketball with us before we went in for supper. I recall winter evenings playing Peggy. Dad was hard to beat. He took us boys hunting and fishing on occasion. When the church doors were open, we were there. And Dad showed by example the importance of reverence in and out of church. Our parents taught us by example the Christian graces of hospitality, kindness, and servanthood. We boy, boys sometimes thought Dad took too seriously those verses about not sparing the rod and thus spoiling the child. He did not provoke us to wrath by inconsistent discipline. We were taught that God sees us even when Dad or Mother 
were not around. So it was on that auction evening that it became quite clear to me that my father had not been out to make every dollar he could. He was not out hastening to get rich or trying to pile up earthly possessions or prestige. He had higher priorities. He had his five boys. And that is worth remembering. You may turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy in chapter 6. This is how we parents can write a very positive legacy for our children to remember. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily in as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. I may stop and make a comment as I read some of these verses, but uh, yeah, I may give you a couple of homework assignments. They won't be very hard, okay? (laughs) But see, you, you could take those first three verses that I've read, and you could already start making a list of positive things that are the outcome of being obedient to this scripture, uh, of doing what it says to do. It, it lists with it some positive outcomes of doing that. And, uh, of course, part of it will naturally be then the legacy that these parents would leave with their children, yes, with their church, and yes, in their community. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. 
You see, in, in what we've already read in this book that Robert Stauffer and his son have written, um, that's what was happening in their lives. That's where, what Robert Stauffer's parents were doing. And that's what Robert Stauffer was doing, and therefore his son Javeth could write that foreword in the book. Verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And I'll just stop right there because, you know, you can read over this and if you don't think about every phrase and every line, sometimes you might miss it. But just... Um, just in preparation for this, I, I, re, I underlined some things in my Bible here that I had not underlined before. But um, you see, our children, we, as we as parents stand before our children and live before our children and, and, and work before our children uh, as they're growing up, they need to get these things about us. Um, and so it says in verse 10, we have to realize that God is doing these things. You see, it says in the second line, in my Bible at least, the Lord thy God shall, shall have brought thee. You know, how did, they, how did the children of Israel get where they were? How did they get out of bondage in Egypt? Well, it's, it's saying here that the Lord, the Lord brought them. So I underline brought thee. Into the land which he swore unto, he, he had made a promise. He fulfilled his promise. And so it says next, which he swore unto the fathers. He had promised, he had delivered on his promise, the Lord did this. And, and if we live our lives in our homes so that our children know that, you know, these things that happen in our family is by the strength of God and by the power of God. And we want to obey him and do things his way and he'll bless us for it. To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee. God gave to give thee. We didn't get it, but God gave it to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. <laughs> See, he's basically saying the same thing several times in that one verse, just saying it in different ways. It's from God. He brought, He gave. We didn't build, so He built. Verse 11, and houses full, so he's starting to make a list of things here, as you can see. He starts that list uh, in the end of verse 10, and he continues in verse 11, a list of things here. Goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not. You know, you can't live without water. Your, your cows can't live without water. Your chickens can't live without water. Water is so important. And so water is mentioned here as a great, great gift from God. And wells digged which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full... 
Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. In other words, in other words, and I've already said it in so many words, I'll say it this way now. In other words, praise the Lord to your children. Stand in front of your children and say, children, this is what God has done for us. Give him the glory. This is what has happened in our lives. It wasn't me. God made this happen. Praise the Lord before your children. Give him the glory. Put, give the credit where credit is due. And that's how Robert Stauffer grew up in a home with a godly father and mother. That They died without a lot of wealth, but they died with five godly boys. And, 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 and they died with giving God the glory for things that had happened in their lives and taking their responsibility as parents very, very seriously. I'm going to stop. You should read the rest of this chapter, but I won't, for lack of time, I won't read any more of it right now. But that's Deuteronomy 6. So sometime in your spare time, before long, if you can, read the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We must move on. I won't turn to this, but I'll just mention, you, you know it, but read, read the end of Ephesians chapter 5 and the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. So it talks about submitting to one another, and then wives submit to your husbands, and then husbands love your wives, and then fathers train up your children in the way they should go and don't provoke your children to wrath. That's a few of the things that it says in the end of Ephesians 5, the beginning of Ephesians 6. And then you'll be leaving a, you'll be writing a, a good legacy. Yes, you will. Um, young people, God has get, gotten our attention by, you know, the way he got it yesterday in the passing of this young man in, in, in Idaho. Um, what, what, what was the legacy that Jesus, Jesus as a young person, Jesus as a young man, what was his legacy? What does the Bible say about his example? What does the Bible say about his legacy that he left as a young person? Well, it says in Luke 2, verses 51 and 52, Jesus was subject to his parents, I'm putting it in my own words, and he increased in favor with God and with man. That's the legacy Jesus left as a youngster, as a young man, maybe as a teenager. So he was subject to his parents. In other words, he was obedient to his parents. And he increased in favor with both God and man. Uh, I think I'll just read, uh, especially for you ladies. Um, You're, uh, you're such important part in the home. Uh, yes, you know, the, uh, 
God has placed an order with uh, men, the head of the wife and the head of the family, and, and the wife is right there. We get married, and, and the Bible says we're one, and we work together in such a wonderful way uh, God has planned. Uh, but this is uh, a, a little part that Brother Stauffer wrote here uh, about uh, wives being uh, keepers at home. And he wrote this in a poetic form. Most of his stories, of course, are not written in poetic form, but he wrote this poem one time uh, for his wife, about his wife, and I think I'll read it for the sake of you wives and mothers uh, this morning. <clears throat> So uh, he entitled it, My Wife is a Keeper at Home. Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, <coughs> that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, this is what Brother Stauffer wrote. Who can find a virtuous woman, he said, through the pages of scripture of old? For she is more precious than gold or fine gems, for she is a keeper at home. My heart, as her husband, trusts safely in her. No thought of her being untrue. Her eyes and affections are for me alone. My wife is a keeper at home. She bore me four children, two boys and two girls, through teething and diapers and pain. The long, wakeful nights were taken with love, for she is a keeper at home. She rises while night prepares meat for our clan. Her fingers no idleness know. The wet shoe fly pies and fresh homemade bread mark her as a keeper at home. When I leave the door ere a long, busy day, her kind words are fresh in my mind. The note in the lunchbox, the promise of prayer, tell she is a keeper at home. Her daughters observe her loving submission as she follows God and her man. Her delight in her role, their words do reveal, their mom is a keeper at home. Our checkbook is safe when she goes to the store. She spends not our money in vain. She makes a good deal, then wants to return, for she is a keeper at home. The fads and the fashions that trendy do seek to follow the whims of the time, to her are not lasting, just vanity passing. Not for the keeper at home. Our children in turn may be parents someday, teaching holiness, meekness, and love. Their character and lives will not surprise their mom was a keeper at home. The world's cheap allurements thrown at men hold little attraction for me because I'm ravished with love for the woman God gave, I love my keeper at home.
we're writing a legacy, not only in our homes, but we're writing a legacy in the church. Um, in our relationships and what we do in the church and our relationships with one another. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I just want to remind you of the character Dorcas. Uh, the legacy that Dorcas left in that early New Testament church. Acts chapter 9, verse, beginning at verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And you see, there, there it speaks of her right there in that first verse. You know, that, that's a legacy that she was known by. And when she passed on, that's a legacy she left. She was full of good works and alms deeds or, or works of mercy, works of giving, works of mercy, which she did. Verse 37, and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber, uh, and forasmuch as Lydia was, Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto uh, him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter rose and went with, with them, when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows uh, stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with him. So they, they, you see there, it's showing the, the legacy she left. They, they had things actually in the physical to show, to prove what kind of woman she was, what kind of uh, good things and alms deeds and giving she had done uh, in the church there. <clears throat> Verse 40, but when Peter, uh, but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him uh, to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Uh, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Well, I'm just saying... <clears throat> That's a legacy a, a, a woman left in the church there and with her fellow brothers and sisters uh, in the church there, in the early church setting there, as recorded there in, in Acts 9. Um, ladies, uh, what kind of legacy are, are you leaving? Uh, how does the church know you? Um, um, you know, so your, your home knows you, your children will know you, uh, we'll, we'll, you're leaving a legacy with your children, we're all leaving a legacy also uh, in our church. Um, um, maybe I'll just tell you about a couple of things here without turning to them. If you're taking notes, you could can, can jot this down, but, but in, in, uh, in Acts 18, it talks about the, the great man, the, the wonderful man called Apollos. Um, and, and then Paul comments on him uh, at the beginning of Romans 16. 
so, so this Apollos, he, he left a, quite a legacy. It said, you, you, could, you could read ver in, in, in Acts 18, uh, again, this is an assignment. <laughs> you know, as a school teacher, you could give this as an assignment for your students, or, or moms and dads, you could give this as an assignment for your children to, to write something down here. But in Acts 18, where it talks about Apollos, it's in verses 24 to 28, and it says many positive things about the preaching of Apollos. He, he, he preached. And it says, just in those few verses, it says various positive things about him and his preaching. Um, but you know something? There was one thing about his preaching that wasn't quite correct. He hadn't gone, although he, he didn't know really uh, totally about Jesus yet and, and all that Jesus was and all that he did. But another couple, a married couple apparently, um, realized that he was lacking something in his preaching and they took him aside and said, Apollos, this is the truth that you need to include in your preaching and that couple was Aquila and Priscilla. <clears throat> and, and he received apparently what they had to give him uh, in a wonderful way, and then he was able to preach, preach the complete gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so Aquila and Priscilla had a legacy of, of discipleship, you might say, helping uh, someone see the, the, the way clearly and see the total gospel. They have that legacy. It's written in the scripture. You know, it's recorded in the scripture. That's how we, one of the, the way, things we can remember Aquila and Priscilla by. And, uh, and then we have the, the preaching of the dedicated preaching of, of Apollos. Uh, and, then, and then Paul comments on that Apollos in Romans 16, the first few verses of Romans 16. Let's look at just a few verses then. The fact that we are leaving a legacy in the community. We are leaving a legacy in the community. Uh, if you'll turn to Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4. Look at verses 5 and 6. This is Colossians 4, 5, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So there it says something how... Those that are without, I'll read a couple verses here where I'll use the words without. Those that are without, those that are outside the church, those in the community, in other words, that are not necessarily a part of the church. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Make sure you have a good relationship with, with the neighbors that are not part of the church community. Verse uh, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You know, when we pass on, what will our legacy be in the community? You see, we, we know each other in the church, but, you know, what will the community say about us? Did we, did we relate to them like we should and treat them in the way we should? Just turn over a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. <laughs> 
Verse 11 and 12. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So will you, does our community, the people, our neighbors, uh, do they know us as that kind of person? To study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands. And verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing, uh, that ye might have an honest report toward the people in the community around us, those that are without, okay? <clears throat> you could look at other, other scriptures, of course, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop there, but uh, there other scriptures about how we should relate to the people around us and the legacy we should live when we're remembered uh, from the community. So I think I'll just close by reading the very last little section in this book. It's, it's how the book ends. And uh, it's about an old man in northern uh, Ontario of years ago and the legacy he left. Uh, and you have to ask yourself the question, uh, did he leave a legacy that uh, is eternal or did he leave a, a legacy that he's simply remembered by? Is it positive? Is it negative? Will it have any eternal effect? Uh, I think you will understand. <clears throat> so, um, so this last little portion, last story, he entitled it, What Kind of Legacy? 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. His name was Jimmy McQuatt. In northwestern Ontario, his name has reached legendary stature, for it was he who built White Otter Castle. The castle was a three-story house with an attached four-story tower against the one side. It was built of huge red pine logs up to 18 inches in diameter and 40 feet long. Where log met log at the corners, they were joined by dovetailing them together. Jimmy built this structure working alone. He was neither young nor powerful, but rather an older man of about 145 pounds. The castle was built in the early 1900s on the shore of beautiful Lake Otter near Atacocan, Ontario. Major repair work was done on the structure in the 1950s as well as a $1 million job in the mid-1990s in order to preserve it. The castle remains as well as the legend of the man who built it. The big question is why? Why would a man build a huge log house 20 miles from town and across 15 portages? What drove Jimmy to cut down all those trees by himself, transport them to this building site, and then debark, hew, and notch the logs to fit.
What inspired him to devise the means he employed to lift those logs into place? What kept him going in cold and heat and mosquitoes to saw those boards for the floors and the roof? C.L. Hodson canoed to the hermit's castle and wrote of his experience in 1914. He too had the same questions. He asked Jimmy, why? Jimmy answered, years ago, yes, it was quite long time now, we was just boys. You know, I had a chum, one of those old jolly chaps, always playing some prank. One day he threw an ear of corn at another man. It hit him in the ear, and he was a bad-tempered chap. My, how he swore. He didn't know who threw it, no, but he thought it was me. And he cursed me. Jimmy Quat, he said, you'll never do any good. You'll die in a shack. I couldn't tell him me chum done it, so he thought it was me, and I'd die in a shack. I never forgot that. All the time I lived in a shack, I kept thinking, I must build me a house. And so I have. Ye couldn't call this a shack, could ye? C.L. Hodson assumed Jimmy, assured Jimmy that his log house was not a shack. And so, nearly a century since Jimmy began to build, the castle still stands as a monument to a man's determination. Jimmy did not long enjoy his castle. He did not show up for Christmas dinner in ignorance against the winter of 1918. The following spring, his body was found. He had apparently drowned while netting fish from the lake. He was buried beside the castle for which he is remembered. How do you want to be remembered? <coughs> what, will, what will your legacy be? Will a, long, will a log castle, a farm, a business, or a bank account be the thing you will be remembered for? Or will you be remembered for being faithful to the Lord and serving others, whether your lot be in plenty or in want? If a man can be driven by the fear of a curse to expend himself for an earthly castle, what might result from a Christian whose highest aim is to know, to love, and to serve his Savior? One hundred years from now, what will you wish you had focused on now? The song leader will lead us in number 351, number 351.